There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Good morning and welcome to Friday's Opinion Line. We've made it the end of the week. Fiona Corker in here for PJ Coogan for the final show of the week and the final weekend of walking within our five kilometres, which will be great news for so many people around the county. Now, coming up on today's show, I'll be catching up with Breed Stack, who moved to Australia before Christmas to play in the Australian Football League. She's been telling me about life down under and how a serious injury scuppered her start to the season. It's a year to the day since Debenham's workers learned their fate and we'll be live at their protest as they mark the anniversary and if you've ever been fed up with your job and wished you could just pack it in and do something new, well we've got advice on that too. The numbers to contact the show, 1850 715 996 083 396 96 96 or you can email opinion at 96fm.ie Now to start with something a little bit different this morning, a Cork mother who struggled for years with her weight had a gastric bypass five months ago and says it's changed her life in ways she could never have imagined. Sharon O'Mahony says her decision to have the surgery was nothing to do with how she looked and everything to do with her health. And she thinks it's something we as a society should be more aware of. She's been speaking to me about her experience. Sharon O'Mahony, thank you very much for joining me on the Opinion Line. Sharon, just tell me a little bit about what led to you getting the gastric bypass. Okay, great, and uh, thanks for having me on, Fiona. Uh, yeah, basically, my choice for going for gastric uh, bypass, I'm going to be 50 next year, I'm 49 in July, and year on year, a stone kept on going on. Now, I tried everything, I've been everywhere, I've been to all the slimming classes, um, you know, all the slimming groups, I've been to private people to lose weight, everything, you name it, I did it. I locked myself into the bedroom at 7 o'clock at night, trying not to eat everything, and just, I felt year on year the weight was creeping up um, and I was at the end of my tether really my health was starting to suffer I'm asthmatic and even walking around the shore with clients I'd be out of breath mm. even even being here at home you know a simple tax, task of running up and down the stairs I couldn't I'd be halfway up the stairs and I'd be going oh my god my knees I'd be cough of breath and like the simple thing we take for granted you know to bend down and tie your shoes couldn't yeah. do it couldn't do it and even even you know like you take for granted now you see a pair of shoes you go into a shoe shop and you say oh I'd love to try those on I couldn't even sit down take off my shoes and try on new shoes my stomach was always in the way and why do you think you couldn't lose the weight given the fact that you were doing all of the diets and the slimming Mm -hmm. worlds and locking yourself in the bedroom why do you think you just couldn't shift the pounds yeah and actually, that is a very good question because when I went to Cullen Boyle, uh, we sat across the desk from each other and he said, OK, tell me about your history. Tell me who Sharon Amani is. And I started from, you know, he said, were you always heavy? Is it in the family? And 
recognise the look part of my family would have would I would consider to be heavy. Others are like the greyhound breed, and um, I said I've I've been chubby for most of my life, but I've been successful with dieting. And I previously um, earlier on I had seven miscarriages, so I was on a load of fertility treatment over the years, and I'm now perimenopausal. And have been for about the last four or five years. So I think it's kind of hitting. He said, it's not what you put into your mouth. Okay, it's a factor. But yeah. there's also a lot of different factors they look at. You know, stress-related, uh, hormone releases. Um, he's a genetics. It's all down to a churn. You know, it's not just what you eat. Yeah. Um, so he said, look, I feel you're going to be a complete, a fabulous candidate. Because I am motivated. And if I put myself, you know, a task in my work life or in my home life I achieve it and the one thing I couldn't achieve and couldn't get a grasp of it was my weight and look we've all been there we've all been very good for the week we jump on the scales at the end of the week and your you know your consultant is there going well done Sharon you're down half a pound mm. and you're like what a half a pound yeah sure you come straight out go over to the the shop over to the chipper eat all around you and go you know that, da, 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 da. But with this weight loss tool, I can't do that. And so did I, you, before yeah. you got the bypass, did you go to your consultant and suggest that or was it suggested to you or was it recommended to you? Okay, it was, I uh, took the bull by the horns, really. Like, mm. I was, years ago, I had a severe reflux, and there was a consultant who passed away since Jerry O'Sullivan, who was in the emergency, and um, went into him anyway, so I had to get initial fundal, uh, which is a wrap around your esophagus. So when I was talking to Jerry O, he was telling me what he was going to do, and my eyes lit up, and I go, oh, are you going to do a gastric band on me? Because that's the only bariatric thing I could think of, and he said, no, Sharon. It's a, a wrap around your esophagus. It'll inhibit you to eat. But he said it's going to cure your reflux. So I had that done about 10 years ago. And yes, I did lose weight. But over the years, I regained it. So I was working with a client in the showroom uh, one day. And she happened to mention to me that she had lost eight stone with colomel boil and a gastric bypass. And I said, crikey, what's that? Mm. So she explained it to me. I went off and researched it. And I said, yeah, I think I'm going to go further. So I was with my GP who was monitoring my weight and was saying, look, Sharon, you're, you're, you're going into the danger levels now, like, you know, with diabetes and further down the road. It's going to impact your health because my asthma was getting worse. My knees were at me. Uh, my, I have a back issue that previously I used to get uh, epidurals for. And I was constantly up and down getting medication. And she was saying it to me about my weight. And I said, look, I'm trying everything. She gave me diet pills. Um, they were horrendous. And... Um, I went into her one day and I said, look, don't kill me now. Mm. I said, what? I said, I'm looking at a gastric sleeve or a gastric bypass. She said, Sharon, I'm absolutely delighted. I'm just back from a convention where the medical field are being persuaded to recommend bariatric surgery because they feel if you get to the patient sooner, they won't become a drain on the medical profession later down the road. But she tried to say it as diplomatic as she could yeah. without hurting my feelings. Um, so I said, look, I've heard about Colin Boyce that he's highly recommended to come from all over Ireland to him. So she sent off the referral letter and then COVID hit. Um, so I, like everybody else, I was out walking, I was eating, I was drinking, I was getting heavier and heavier. And in June, then I rang up and got through to Katrina 
chief secretary and nobody gets past her. <laughs> <laughs> and I was saying, look, would you please search for my referral letter? And she found it and she set up an appointment and I met himself. Now, I had loads of research done. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, when I met him, now I kind of, I'm kind of like this. I said, okay, I've had reflux. The gastric sleeve isn't recommended for anybody with reflux. If he's going to tell me, no, and I'll be honest, look, I'm very honest on my Instagram page as well. If he's going to tell me, oh yeah, look, we'll do the re- we'll do the sleeve, you'll be fine. If he tells me that now, I know he's not sincere, right? Mm. Um, but he looked, listened to my story, went through my medical history and he said, right, Sharon, only operation I'll perform on you is gastric bypass. Um, I won't entertain anything else. You've had reflux and it could be an issue again. That's all I'm going to do. And what do you think? And I said, done, done. I was waiting for you to say it. And um, he was like, right, explained the procedure to me and um, told me there and then my insurance wouldn't cover it because my BMI was 44, but I had no pre-existing conditions. Right. I was healthy. Um, for once in my life I wished I had something but I didn't yeah. right? um, so he said look go to Katrina she'll explain everything else to you I went out to Katrina she told me the finances and had to go home sit down chat to my husband and now first of all he wasn't for me for an operation he was like oh gosh Aaron, like you know it's a drastic step and I said whoa step back now mm. if I came home to you and said Martin I stomach cancer they want me in they have to take away half my stomach to save my life. What would you say, Nicole? Absolutely, I wouldn't hesitate. And then he just looked and he went, you're right. Let's do this, let's do this. And uh, I rang Katrina back and I said, right, let's go. And uh, it just kind of followed, you know, I'd go and see a psychiatrist. Um, she, you know, she'd done an evaluation. You know, you have to mentally be ready mm. for this. Um and went to her, she passed me, went in then, had all the uh, tests in the bonds, um, which all came back remarkably healthy. I think they were just short of saying for a fat person, you know? Yeah. And um, back into him, he said, okay, everything was fine. I might have an issue with the Nissan. Fundal Rap explained everything with me. He said, um, are you okay? I said, fine. You're the master of your trade. I trust you. Let's do it. And I got my date and I walked into the hospital that morning. I was first up for surgery, laughed and joked all the way, hopped up on the table and I woke up in recovery and never looked back since. And what hospital did you get it in? Uh, the Bond Secure Hospital here in Cork. Oh, you were able to get it here in Cork? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colin O'Boyle, he's, he's kind of one of the top guys in Ireland. Yeah. And now you can go to your health insurance like Leah and VHI. Right. There's certain um, criteria. I just didn't meet it. Okay. You and know? it's not, I mean, you weren't getting this for vanity reasons. This was a, no. a health reason. Oh, this this is pure health. Like, my light bulb, my turning point, right, is like anyone who knows me, is I'm a workaholic, number one. I think that's how I got to this stage mm. um, and like anyone who knows me will tell you I'm one of the hardest working people I'll always try um, I always had a brave face I yeah. never actually realised how mentally it impacted me you know I never realised uh, like anyone who knows me will say I'm very strong like, you know nothing gets me down but I never realised how down I really was yeah. until now I'm nearly five stone lost wow. and the confidence I had in four and a half months, the confidence that I have now was always there, but it's just heightened. And you've you know? had to, since you've had the surgery, it's not just a case of having the surgery and that's it. You can go back to eating what you what you want and not doing any oh, exercise. Yeah. You have to do, you have to follow a diet, do you? Or do you have to do well, a certain amount of exercise? 
it's kind of not a, like when you're with him now, like, you know, he's a realist. He's he's not one of these consultants now who'll sit down and pass the time of day with you or hold your hand. Like, they call yeah. him a boy, he's a master of his trade and he's there for a reason and he'll tell you what he what he thinks. He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't be looking at you about your emotions or anything like that. Like, he's straight, he'll hit you between the eyes. Now, he told me he'll only do that surgery. Yeah. And he said, look, he said, if you're under no illusions now, he said, you could pay all this money, Sharon, and you could be back to where you've been in five years if you do not look after this tool. My advice is introduce um, exercise with your weight loss tool and you are going to have to watch what you eat because restriction will become less as time goes on. Mm. Um, like your first six months is where you lose the bulk of your weight. So like I've always, like I ran the mini marathon years ago. Right. I ran it so well that I second ended up up in Shanakeel getting an epidural. Um, Do you know, like growing up, I was in the teeny tots in the opera house. I performed Mm. on stage. I was, you know, I was always active. But my weight, which led to back and knee problems over the years, kind of stopped me. But now I'm I'm back. I'm doing 9K on the treadmill every morning. And like when I was asked to do, um, set up Instagram. I don't do Instagram. I stalk people on Instagram, but I never knew how to even <laughs> open an account. Yeah. So my hairdresser, all the girls were asking me to do it. And uh, my hairdresser, Jan, I rang her one night and I said, Jan, I don't know how to do internet, uh, Instagram. So she said, she simply I'd talk you through it. So my first post was me in bed, waving into the phone going, hello, am I live? Hello, <laughs> is anybody out there? And you could see Jan going, get off the phone. Skitting, and I was like, "Oh, this is great!" Do you know? So I kind of learned as I went along, but I did say I'll be very honest, warts and all, um, about everything, um, because I think it's very important uh, in the year of 2021 that whatever choice you choose in life, you shouldn't be judged for it. Mm. And I done it for me, and because I'm so well known in the design circles, the building circles, the GA circles in Cork, uh, uh, around the weight loss circuit, everyone knows me. You know, um, I just wanted them to see, like, lads, I'm not hiding anything. This was to save my life. This isn't for me to be on vogue, like, you know, this is for me. I'm 50 next year. My son turned around to me, um, oh, crikey, last year. I was up in bed again with hot water bottle, another trip to the doctor on pain meds for my back. And he was like, Mom, I really wish, I really wish... You could lose that weight, he mm. said. He goes, you've been an amazing mother and I know someday you're going to be an amazing grandmother. I want you to be around. You know, like, wow. he, it just was, you know, those light bulb moments? Mm. You know, it was just like, now I have to do something. Got my back right again, went back out, a personal trainer, back went again. Do you know, so it was just like a vicious circle. And you mentioned there about judgment. Do you think that a lot of people might look at a gastric bypass in a negative way? And do you think it's something that we need to talk about a lot more here in this country? Absolutely need to talk about it a lot more in this country. Personally, for me, I haven't experienced any negativity. Um, Maybe it's the fact I'm so honest about it. Mm. Or... Like they're in work now going and they're listening, they can't, you know, they know I'm going to go, oh, come here, I've got a gastric bypass and the bomb's there. Oh, what's that? And I tell them, <laughs> do you know, I'm not, uh, what would I say? Like, I think adva- advancement in medicine, medicine is huge. My son is studying to be a medical um, engineer and like the advancement, what we can do with our bodies, it's all about, like everybody will talk about weight loss and personal trainers and everything and it's great for some people who are motivated and can do it I take my hat off to them there is a portion of the population like me 
it doesn't work for mm. and for us we get so well for me I can only speak from my experience I was getting so much downhearted I was like why can't I do this why is my back gone again why am I the one sitting here on you know and life is passing me by you know and um, I just said yeah this is for me and off I went I mean it's the first year of the first vice madam president president mm. president and Sorry, I can't say the word. Um, in the world. And yeah, so I'm all for empowering women. Do what you want. And look, at the end of the day, my philosophy really is like, you don't pay my mortgage, you don't educate my son, or you don't pay my bills. So no one has a, a right to say my life. The same as I have no right to say about anybody's life, mm. you know. We're all here in a journey, and I decided to to put my journey out there. And so far, everybody has been supportive and on board, and I've helped an awful lot of people actually um, about bariatric surgery. You will not believe how popular it is. You will not believe it. Now a lot of people still are behind closed doors in it, mm. but you will not believe how popular this is like. And your Instagram page is Bypassed by Sharon. Mm. And yeah, people can follow you there. By Sharon. Listen Sharon, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thanks a lot for that. And best of luck to Sharon with everything going forward. Now, you may have heard on the Cork's 96FM opinion line a few weeks ago that a group called Save Our Bride Otters have raised a number of objections to the proposed Blackpool flood relief scheme. They're concerned about the impact it'll have on the local wildlife and are calling for a judicial review of the plan. Now, the Minister of State with responsibility for the OPW, Patrick O'Donovan, is asking them to reconsider their position. Well, Chris Moody of Save Our Bride Otters is on the line now. Chris, will you reconsider? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Fiona. How are you? Um, will we reconsider? Uh, no, I don't believe we will. Uh, I think we've kind of made it clear that we we intend to, to proceed with this. Um, uh, I would recommend, I, I read the statement there, mm. I, I'd recommend that the Minister read his own uh, assessment, the, the, the assessment and the scheme, the Environmental Impact Assessment Report, because the, the impacts are, of the scheme are... Uh, are, are very uh, severe, and uh, the the state, according to their own environmental impact assessment report, the impact on fisheries within the bride uh, is a, a permanent significant neg- negative impact, and the impact on otters is a permanent significant negative impact, and that is despite mitigation. Now, the Minister says an extensive consultation has taken place as part of the environmental impact assessment and that's happened with Inland Fisheries Ireland, National Monuments and the National Parks and Wildlife Service. So do you think that they have considered the wildlife that's around the the River Bride? Well, they can say they have, but I don't believe they have. I mean, their scheme in their their own, uh, own, they admit in their own documents that the scheme is highly damaging to the local environment, to the local environment. So um, it doesn't really matter if if you've you've done the, the consult consultation and the surveys if the results come back as being very negative. So um, yeah, that is, that is the case, and um, it is overly negative, and it doesn't have to be as destructive as this. He's also said that uh, while he recognises everyone's right to appeal planning decisions, um, he's asking you to consider the homeowners and businesses in the area who've been affected by flooding. And I know the last time when you were speaking to PJ that he also spoke to Ger Buckley, who has a shop there right in the centre of Blackpool. And he spoke about how 
damaged his business has been in the past and if flooding happens in Blackpool again he doesn't know where he's going to go from there so do you know are you considering the people who have been affected by the flooding in this and what would you say to them? Absolutely, I consider them. I live in Blackpool as well. I've seen the... I have not been affected by flooding. PJ did put that to me last time. Right. Uh, but I do have an opinion. Blackpool will be changed after this completely. It will be changed after this scheme. The river will be slabbed over. There'll be no river left in Blackpool Village as such. It will be gone. There, there'll be highly uh, uh, engineered solutions further upstream, a massive trash screen in the park, assuming that that scheme is still going ahead as, as the, uh, according to the drawing submitted. Um, so it'll change. Now... The, the, the other thing is the causes of flooding in Blackpool have not been properly, proper, properly addressed in the first place. Uh, trash screens were implicated in those flood events. Uh, and, you know, they have been removed. And there's, there's no coincidence that Blackpool has not been flooded since the removal of those screens, which was recommended by uh, RPS consulting engineers in a report uh, to Cork City Council in 2013. So I would say to the people of Blackpool, Let's get the best solution for Blackpool and let's get a solution that leaves us with something nice in Blackpool because this is not going to make Blackpool a nicer place to live. Uh, this is a nice little river and it, it, has, it offers something special to Blackpool and we need to look after it. And this is, uh, it is a really hardly engineered solution that is just going to completely change the face of the village. And Chris, are you guys engaging with the OPW on this then? Are you putting this side forward to them and your proposals? Well, we have. We've, uh, I've been in, uh, myself, I've been in contact with the OPW over the years. And at the very beginning of this scheme, back in 2016, we, we put this information to the Office of Public Works. I made a submission myself and another a number of other people uh, pointed out to the Office of Public Works that they'd got it wrong in their surveys. Uh, and they have, they've had that time because uh, the whole river along here was completely inundated with Japanese knotweed. So that's four to five years of treatment. So that time could have been used to look at the alternatives to the current proposal. And Chris, we've seen with other judicial reviews that it delays the plans and uh, we know that there was one here in the city as well um, and that, you know, for, for the flood relief plans that it puts them on hold for a considerable length of time um, and I, I'm assuming that with this judicial review that it's going to hold up this scheme in Blackpool as well. Do you believe it's worth all of the delays? I believe that the River Bride is worth fighting for uh, and I, I do believe that if this scheme goes ahead as planned that we will absolutely regret it and people will see a changed landscape in Blackpool. And it, they will be sorry. This is worth fighting for. It's worth... We are not saying no solution for Blackpool. We are saying the best solution for Blackpool. We want a solution that leaves Blackpool a better place, not a solution that just uh, solves flooding without any guarantee of insurance, I might add, because uh, this has been pushed a lot. Uh, the idea that, that on the back of this massively expensive 20.5 million euro scheme that insurance is going to follow, flood insurance is going to follow automatically. That is not the case. There's no guarantee that that is going to follow. So let's hold out for something, for something good for Blackpool. Let's push for something good for Blackpool uh, that leaves us with something nice. And if a judicial review isn't granted, will you leave it there or how far are you planning to take this? It's too early to say. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's too early to say. And what's your solution, so? Upstream storage. It was, a, it was option two on the, this, the original uh, options report. So it is an option. 
mm-hmm. even if even if it, that's not acknowledged at the moment. It was an option. It was on the report, so it can certainly be done. Where there is a will, there is a way, uh, and that basically slows the flow and keeps the majority of the uh, flood water out of Blackpool Village. The current the current proposal is basically to funnel to remove restrictions upstream. Remove uh, restrictive bridges, et cetera, right? That those bridges slow the flow as it gets to Blackpool. Remove all of those and just funnel it all underneath Blackpool through a culvert system. And we're going to have pumps as well, eight pumps, I believe. It's just becoming a massively engineered scheme. And as far as I'm concerned, the more, uh, I mean, look, I am a cartoonist. I'm not an engineer. But I do believe in that the old uh, saying of keeping it simple and this is not keeping it simple. It's becoming a highly complicated uh, solution, and the, the river will disappear. It will basically be converted into a drain. Well, I suspect we'll be covering this story, both sides of this story, for a while to come yet. Uh, what would be the outcome? We don't know at this stage. Chris, listen, thank you very much for joining us. Your thoughts on this are welcome. 1850 715 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. I just want to bring you some positive news stories that we saw yesterday on social media. The Glanmire Notice Board on Facebook had a lovely post yesterday. They received a message from a 15-year-old teenage boy who, along with some of his mates, had picked up seven bags of rubbish. In his message to them, he said he wanted to show people in the area that not all teens are making a mess. And to that young man, well done. Your credit to yourself and to your parents, well done. Also, Katrina Toomey of Corkpenny Dinners posted a picture of a letter she received from a young boy. It read, Hi, my name is Ollie and my aunt gave me this 10 euro for Easter. I don't need it, so I hope it can help somebody that needs it more. Again, such a lovely story and it just goes to show that children really are a great great asset to society. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Court's 96 FM. Welcome back. Keep your comments coming in. Just on the subject of otters, John O'Donovan has been in touch to say, I wonder would he have a different perspective if he had a business down there? That he is Chris Moody of the Save Our Bright Otters. That river isn't visible to the naked eye at all in Blackpool, except for a few metres down the church. Has he ever walked around Blackpool and seen the decay in a lovely village, partly caused by fears of running a business with the flooding? If it were a prosperous area, you could include measures for nature too. Andrew's also been in touch. Morning, Fiona. Whilst I know the village and the flooding of the village is of importance, but please, please at some otter stage there's more pressing issues in Blackpool and surrounding areas at the moment and that is the reopening of South Dock in Blackpool. We can return to the waters and the wild at an otter time. Thank you for that Andrew and Sheila says you can tell PJ that he can go on holidays in future in peace because he has a good backup there I really enjoyed her. Oh, thanks very much Sheila that's lovely. Uh, keep your comments into coming into us 1850 715 for school children has come up on the show a few times before and we've had overwhelming support for it. We've heard stories of families where cancer patient mothers face heartbreak in flu season or when there's an outbreak of measles and children carrying a burden of guilt when they get a sniffle. But not everyone is in favour of it and we've also had callers say that it would be unconstitutional especially under EU law. The law is difficult to predict though and there's been a surprise at a European ruling yesterday that a Czech compulsory vaccination 
vaccination policy interfered with the right to a private life. But there is a need to protect public health. It was an overwhelming verdict too, 16 to 1, meaning any future case with slightly different circumstances is likely to win a majority among the judges for compulsory vaccination. Now on the phone is Dr. Connor Casey, a lecturer in constitutional law, who says that people often misunderstand the law's take on private rights versus common good, both in an English and or both in an Irish and European context. Good morning, Connor. Thank you for joining us on the opinion line. Thanks very much for having me, Fiona. Connor, could you just um, briefly um, outline what happened yesterday? Yeah, so uh, I haven't had the chance to read through the, the judgment in a, in a lot of detail. It's just handed down by the European Court of Human Rights. But they have said that uh, requiring mandatory, making vaccinations mandatory for children who are trying to access, uh, it was actually preschool, uh, nursery education, that is not uh, an, uh, an infringement of their European uh, Convention right to both education uh, or to respect for private life. The court said that the decision whether to vaccinate your child is one which implicates, it does engage your right to, to family life, but mm. the restriction was proportionate given the, given the very pressing public health need and the fact that some of the uh, things being inoculated against didn't just concern the individual child or family, but also had ripple effects on other people. Uh, they were contagious and it concerned the, the common good uh, of society as a whole. So the, the infringement was proportionate. And of course, this was in the Czech Republic, Connor. Has there ever been a case like this in Ireland or has there been much discussion of it in legal circles? So there hasn't been a, a case uh, like it. This would be new constitutional territory. And I think it's very important to emphasize that um, the, it's, the answer is not clear either way. There are mm. good uh, and plausible and nuanced arguments to suggest that such a measure would be constitutional and there'd be our good arguments that would be unconstitutional, it would be finely balanced. So I think people should tread cautiously. It doesn't mean the Iraqis can't do it. It just means that they should proceed in good faith uh, and carefully, which, which you hope they would do in any event. So what does it mean for us here? Do we have to follow their judgment even in a health emergency? Uh, no, I mean, uh, so the... the European Convention on Human Rights, Ireland is, is a, a signatory to it and we have uh, incorporated it into our law. So yes, we, 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 um, it, we don't need to follow what the Czech Republic did. It just says that if we chose to follow what they did, that there would be a good argument it would be upheld under the European Convention. There's a separate question, however, about the Constitution. I think the Constitution is more tricky than the Convention because the Constitution puts a particular premium on parents making decisions uh, for their children, for their personal decisions in respect to their children, because our constitution puts a very strong emphasis on the family. So I th the question will turn in the Irish context on whether this kind of requirement to access primary education is an intrusion on the, the domain of the family and family decision making. So that, that's what questions will turn on in Ireland. And it's a, it is a finely balanced um, argument to be had on that point. And Connor, I suppose you often hear that the Constitution protects people's privacy and bodily integrity, but does it really? Is it absolute? Oh, absolutely not. The Constitution is not a libertarian document. The Constitution in the preamble, which is the, the very first thing you read in the Constitution, dedicates the state to promoting the common good, which is the good of each and every person. 
so the Constitution doesn't allow you to say, well, this is my right and everyone else be damned. Uh, the common good comes first. So the state can take steps to regulate an interest of the common good. So they could require, uh, in certain circumstances, as long as it's proportionate, adults to get a mandatory vaccine. I, w- I would say there's a good argument for that. The children issue is more complica- complicated because uh, parents are the ones that exercise decision-making on behalf of their children um, when it comes to personal family decisions. So unless a failure to intervene by the state would damage the welfare of the child, now in this situation, not getting a COVID vaccine may not harm the welfare of the child. Mm-hmm. That, that's what makes it difficult. So, but the, the question, the argument, I think, will turn on whether the decision to inoculate your child uh, and send them to primary school or not, is that a personal decision of the family or is that a decision that implicates everyone's well-being, everyone's, the common good of everyone? Is it a family decision or is it a decision that the state should take a lead on? That will be the crux of the argument, I think. And just out of interest, is it significant that the common good is at the top of the Constitution? Does that signify it's more important? Oh, no, no. I, I wouldn't say that. I would say that uh, in the preamble as well, it mentions the, the freedom and dignity of the individual. Um, so the, the, the Constitution puts a strong premium on uh, individual dignity and freedom, but it says that that freedom exists uh, in a community, in uh, the common good of all. It's not just the dignity or uh, freedom of any individual. It's, it's all of our dignity and freedom, which requires respecting everyone's constitutional rights. Um, so, so, so individual rights can be regulated if they can Im- implicate the common good. So I, I think that's what you'll see people fighting about if it goes mm. to court. Uh, because decisions, for example, around medical treatment for your child, which are entirely personal, which don't affect anyone else, which only affect the well-being of your family and your child, the state can only sort of intervene and override a parental decision in that context in exceptional circumstances. But the question is, is this context, vaccination in the context of going to school against an infectious disease, does that just concern your family or does that in fact, is that a decision that affects the public at large? Such that it's a decision that the state can properly regulate for the common good. It doesn't just concern your family. That. How you conceptualize it, that will have a huge impact. And as I say, no easy answers here. Mm. Very complicated territory. Brilliant, Connor. Listen, thanks so much for joining us. More on this in a moment. But what are your thoughts on this ruling? Are you in favour of compulsory vaccinations for school children? Let us know. 1850-715-996-083-396-96. Now, uh, we're returning to the story of compulsory vaccinations for school children and the ruling in the Czech Republic. And I have Councillor Ailish Ryan of the Workers' Party on the phone now. Councillor Ryan, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you've been a long-term advocate of vaccination to enter schools. Can you tell me why? Absolutely, yeah. I think, um, you know, the important thing to remember about vaccinations is that they really only work if everybody accesses them. So it's not a case of an optional service where if you want it, you can opt in and if somebody else wants it, they they don't have to. Um, For it to be effective, everybody in society who's able to safely be vaccinated needs to be vaccinated. And what we've seen over the last few years is that there's been a noticeable decline um, in the numbers of people being vaccinated against really serious illnesses like polio, measles and so on. Um, And a lot of that was as a result of very flawed um, um, kind of uh, pseudoscience 
um, promoting the idea that there were links between vaccinations and certain um, side effects. Now, those have been completely disproven, but obviously once you put fear in people's minds, um, you know, it's very hard to, to shake that. And I suppose, you know, we feel and I feel that if um, somebody wants to kind of have the benefit of being part of society, of taking part in public services and so on, um, then they also have the responsibilities that go with that. And that's something that has become crystal clear during the pandemic, um, that we all have responsibilities to conduct ourselves in a certain way in public places um, and to take responsibility not just for ourselves, but for the safety of all of those around us. And really being vaccinated is a crucial part of that. What do you hear from your voters? Do you get a lot of support? Because I know there are, are a lot of opponents who are very vocal, but it seems to be popular among our listeners here on the show. So how do you gauge public opinion? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was an issue where I just decided, well, look, I think this is important. Um, at the time, um, in my local area, I had a couple of friends with young babies who were too young to be vaccinated against measles and there was a measles outbreak in our local area and they were genuinely scared to go outside with their newborn babies because um, they weren't vaccinated against measles and it was at kind of, you know, very worrying levels. Um, And so I just felt this is an issue I have to take a a position on and I was quite surprised by the level of of backlash. Um, I think it's one of the few issues where I've gotten very vocal kind of backlash um, now it's, I think, from a very small minority, and I also think that maybe there was um, maybe a, 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 a another small group of people who were somewhere on the fence about the issue, and that really has disappeared since the pandemic. I think you know now that there's a vaccination on the horizon, people have very little tolerance for um, people who, for, for for without good reason, would take a decision not to be vaccinated, um, because I think you know we have become quite distant from the ideas of pandemics um, like in Cork obviously you know a lot of people still remember polio epidemics and things Mm -hmm. like that but a lot of times people, young people maybe don't have that living memory of the dangers of diseases and um, and and COVID, I think, has really um, brought that back to life, and it's shown us that you know disease is something that we still have to cope with, and the only solutions are public solutions that everybody shares in, like vaccinations. And Anish, has there been any traction on this with the government? Yeah, I mean, I think to um, a greater extent than there was. Um, I know a couple of the the main public health doctors that would advise the, the um, government have come around to the idea of mandatory vaccination and do believe it's something that, you know, might might be something to consider. Um, I also think that um, um, even, you know, within the government parties, there has been, I, I suppose, um, a recognition that it might be an option. Um, and I suppose what I would like to hope is that, um, you know, COVID has, has taught us a lesson and that um, we will start to see vaccination rates for all illnesses going up quite quickly um, as a result of it. Um, I think maybe people's um, understanding of how disease works and um, how vaccination work has increased and potentially we'll see enough of an increase in vaccination rates that the mandatory approach won't be necessary. What was your reaction to the ruling in the Czech Republic? I thought it was really, really welcome. I think, you know, um, at, today in today's world 
um, we hear an awful lot about individual rights and, um, and uh, you know, that can sound quite liberating and quite progressive, but actually focusing on individual rights to the exclusion of everything else is not progressive. Um, it's very selfish and very conservative. And, um, you know, what we saw was a judgment which reflected the fact that our individual rights always have to be balanced against the common good. And if we want a functional society, it's the common good that we need to be promoting. And, um, and I think the ruling showed that the legal basis in human rights law is there to do that. And, um, and I think it's, it's absolutely the same um, in this country also. Councillor Ayla Shrine, thanks very much for joining us. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Welcome back to Friday's Opinion Line. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ today. Now, Cork woman Jessica Nivuelon's life was turned upside down when she was diagnosed with endometriosis and was told that she would have to have a hysterectomy at the age of just 27. It meant she would never be able to have her own children and she'd have to go through the menopause before reaching her 30th birthday. But it saved her life. She's been talking to me about her journey. Jessica, thanks so much for talking to us on the Opinion Line this morning. Jessica, first of all, um, you posted uh, a post on social media the other day and it was a letter from Cervical Check and it annoyed you. Just tell me a little bit about what happened and why it frustrated you when you got that letter. No problem, Fiona. So I suppose the letter I got from Cervical Check was to remind me it was actually uh, titled a final reminder before I'm taken off the Cervical Check system. Um, to attend for my uh, cervical smear test. So, you know, as everyone knows, like once you hit 25, you get, you know, you get your smear test every five years. And then I think it changes. I think it changes after you hit about 45 to every three years or something like that. Um, And I have no issue with with smear tests or anything. You know, I, I think the screening is really important for everyone. But I suppose the reason it really annoyed me was because I had my last smear test in 20, I think it was the start of 2019. Um, or sorry, the start of, or sorry, no, the middle of 2018. Um, and shortly after that, I actually had my ovary removed because there was a tumour in it. Um, now, the tumour was benign, thankfully. But um, I later went on to have further surgery and I ended up having a hysterectomy at the age of 27 um, in October 2019. Two weeks after my hysterectomy, I arrived home um, to a letter from cervical check to let me know that I needed to attend for um, a smear test because I had abnormal results in the earlier check. Now, the earlier check I'd had done had actually come back clear while I had this tumour sitting inside my uh, inside my reproductive system. Um, and I would have had a few different risk factors at the time as well to have an abnormal result. So, you know, even my doctor was shocked that the result had come back um, clear. So I suppose I, at the time, at that time, had written to them, explained to them that I'd had extensive surgery, I'd had a full hysterectomy, including the removal of my cervix, um, unfortunately for all the men listening this morning. Um, <laughs> Uh, which obviously would be important because that doesn't always happen. It it did happen in my case. Um, and I asked them to remove me from the system. And here I was then a few few years down the line and they'd sent me a final reminder, um, a final reminder letter. And I suppose it, it really upset me because one, obviously it brings back the trauma of something like that. And number two as well, um, the fact that they had misread 
the uh, the first screening and then asked me to attend for a second screening. I explained to them the background of why I wasn't attending. Um, and then I suppose it just made me wonder, like, are they sending out those letters to other people that have since undergone treatment related to um, to cervical screening being misread? Now, I suppose, look, mine wasn't directly related to that. It was related to, to a larger issue. But um, it just got me thinking, I suppose, that, like, you know, as I said, it's quite a traumatic thing to go through so young. And it started me wondering, you know, did, like, are they still sending those those letters out to the likes of Vicky Phelan and the other women that were caught in, in the um, in the screening issues? So, do you think that there needs to be a check of their system? Oh, absolutely, because you know, like I, like as I said at the time, I did email them back, and and I purposely emailed them as well so that it wouldn't get lost in, you know, what I can imagine is an amount of paperwork that they do get, and a lot of correspondence they probably do get from people. Um, so like I suppose I wanted to make sure that I wasn't you know that number one I wasn't taking up someone else's space and the screening system and number two to avoid this kind of thing happening and then it just ended up happening um you know I like I mean I've dealt with systems like that before myself in in work situations it's not very difficult to take someone off a system and Jessica can you just go back to when you had the hysterectomy um am I right in thinking that you had endometriosis as well as the tumor yeah, so I suppose, look, Fiona, I had a few different factors um, that led to the hysterectomy. I suppose, look, one was the endometriosis. Um, second one would have been um, that I'd had an appendix leaking a number of years ago. It wasn't caught until late. Um, and I subsequently developed um, an infection internally uh for that kind of went on for about four years before the hysterectomy took place. And look, at that stage, I had done untold damage to my reproductive system. Um, So I suppose, look, I would have had surgery, the first abdominal surgery after the the appendix would have been in 2018, would have been in August. As I said, then I had the emergency surgery five weeks later, um, which dealt with the tumour. and then I would have had further surgery again the following March, which would have been March 2019, to clear out adhesions, to try and get everything kind of ship shape again. Um, and then it just, it, it ended up leading me actually outside the country to undergo um, a robotic full hysterectomy um, with my uh, left ovary, which is the only remaining ovary being taken as well, because the damage was just extremely extensive. I mean when I read through the surgical report afterwards, and obviously I spoke to my surgeon as well, um, my my ovary was was basically stuck to like my kidney, my bowel, the same with my womb. Um, I'd had the marina coil fitted during the first operation in August 2018 um, to like try and help with the side effects of the endometriosis and, and the kind of, I suppose, the the amount of pain that I was in at the time um, and that actually ended up perforating my wound. Things just weren't caught here. Do you think that endometriosis is a condition that we need to highlight a lot more here? Absolutely. Like, I suppose, you know, something that's often been said to me since I've started to kind of engage with other, I suppose, other women's health advocates and um, and my own surgeon in, um, in London 
is, you know, if you're taking something that's more than a prescription, like if you're taking something that's more than an over-the-counter painkiller for period pain, or if you're having, you know, period-like pain in the middle of your cycle, that um, it's something that isn't normal. But I suppose for years, women in Ireland, it's a case of you just get up and get on with it. Yeah, and I, I think we're probably losing, um, I think we're probably losing, you know, what would probably be treatment and diagnostic time to that. And you had to go through um, a hysterectomy then at the age of 24, 25? 27. 27. Um, and obviously, mentally, how do you prepare for that and how do you cope with that? I mean, it's such a huge operation to go through for any woman, but especially somebody who's in their 20s. Um, I suppose, look, I, I'd had, as I said, I'd had kind of surgery leading up to it. So I knew when I went to visit the surgeon in London that I, that I was potentially looking at, um, excision surgery and I'd already had to sign waivers in the two operations in the lead up to that to say that if a hysterectomy was neat or sorry, not a hysterectomy, if, um, if the full removal of both ovaries was needed that, um, that I would consent to it. Um, now, luckily for me at the time, that didn't happen. But I suppose I knew the risks going into it. But I, I went over there thinking that the endometriosis was going to be cut out, which is different to the approach they use in Ireland. The general approach in Ireland is, is ablation, where where the endometriosis lesions are burned off, as opposed to excision is where they're actually physically cut out. Um, and I prepared for that. But I mean, when I heard the words hysterectomy and no ovarian function. I mean, at that stage, I was actually already in the menopause unbeknownst to myself. Um, so I think at that stage, I, I did just need to, I suppose I had this mentality that I just needed to get on with it and get it done because the life I was leading at that stage was no life. Um, I was on a continuous morphine patch that I wore on my skin. I was taking oral morphine tablets Um during the day, I was taking um, a drug that's used for epilepsy, that's also used for nerve pain. And I was still having breakthrough pain with all of that. Um, I knew I knew something drastic needed to be done. I don't think I realised the extent of how a hysterectomy would affect your life until afterwards. But in a way, I think that was probably a blessing in disguise. And the issue around children, I mean, was that something that you gave a lot of consideration to? Or is it something that you've thought more about since? Um, it's definitely something I've thought more about since. Um, I think before that, I I hadn't really given a lot of thought to having children. I think maybe I probably wouldn't would have been one of those people that didn't have children. Um, just you know, I mean, some people decide not to have them. Mm. Um, but I suppose it it wasn't something I was overly worried about going into the operation because, as I said, at that stage. I was just trying to do the best thing for myself. Um, like, I, w- I wasn't sure how much more my body could take. I mean, even at that stage, I got to the stage where I wasn't eating properly either. You know, I was surviving days on five or six biscuits and cups of tea just to keep myself warm because I couldn't physically eat. Um, my stomach had swollen to, to such an extent that that even eating was becoming a problem. Um but I suppose since then, it's been a huge factor. Um, 
like at the time my my cousin who I would like regard as a sister to be honest because we're more or less the same age um she was pregnant with her first child at the time so like I was aware of that going on outside of it but I think it wasn't until after the operation I, I didn't really factor in that like okay I've actually given up the chance to have to have my own child or to have my own children to potentially give another partner children that that was something I, I kind of didn't give too much thought to which I have done since um I think as well you know I, I was actually saying it to a friend of mine the other day I think what gets you know part of something so simple that I think probably many parents do take for granted is you know naming a child like that's not something that I'll be able to do you know just you know do something where you know you pick a unique name or just things like that that I think a lot of women probably take for granted when they're pregnant or you know when they think about having children they're like oh I'd like to name my child this or I'd like to name my child that um it's that's something that's kind of played on me more and I suppose as well since then all I seem to see everywhere either on Facebook or you know, even out in the park is either people having fun with their kids, people announcing pregnancies. But I wonder, I think that might be a bit more to do with my age. I'll be turning 30 this year and I suppose I'm in that phase of life now where a lot of my friends are buying houses and announcing pregnancies and naming their babies. And do you know, it, it's definitely a lot harder, like a lot harder than I probably anticipated it would be. Yeah, I mean, like, do you know, I just can't even imagine being in that situation and I just think that you're so brave to be able, able to talk about it you know it's just um, you know I suppose you were in a situation where you didn't really have a choice it was a life-saving operation that you needed yeah and you know I mean I, I was lucky with the operation to remove my ovary going into that surgery they, they thought it was just a cyst but it was afterwards um, it was a tumour that had grown in through the tube, out through the ovary, um, and if it burst, it would have um, it would have uh, it would have burst an artery that was sitting behind it. Um, so I'd already had that that brush once. You know, I wasn't going to risk that happening again. Um, and how are you and, now? Do you like? Are you okay? Do you have to have more procedures, or are you done with procedures now? No, I'm fully done with procedures, which is the brilliant thing. I suppose that was the beauty of having um, a robotic surgery was that, like, you know, even my downtime physically was minimal. Um, I don't have much scarring, if any, to be honest. Um, the only if the only ongoing issue I do have, all right, is the uh, is it just issues with my back. But as I said, because I was sick for so long, I was carrying... I was carrying my belly the way that you would probably carry it if you were pregnant. So, you know, I know I had a physio say to me, well, you've the hips of a woman who's been pregnant for three years. And I'm kind of looking at them saying, well, I haven't been, <laughs> you know, and um, that's one drawback. All right. Now I am having physio for that and I'm doing the exercises. I'm trying a few different things. So like, luckily that's the only ongoing issue. Obviously I do have the issue of having to use HRT constantly now for the rest of my life. Um, and are there good support services available for somebody going through all of that, like good mental support services? Um, if I'm honest with you, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's something that's talked about here. I know even when I was trying to set up um, appointments for after the surgery, you know, um, 
like I was trying to set up appointments. Now, obviously, look, things, medical things like, you know, mammograms to make sure that I, I'm not putting myself at any higher risk of breast cancer, which obviously is, is something that you risk with, um, with continuous use of HRT for 20 years. Um, but even when I was looking into support groups, all the support groups were more geared towards older women um, who were having hysterectomies in their 50s and 60s. There wasn't a support group for for women who were undergoing hysterectomy at, a, at an age, at such a young age. And I suppose then, you know, that there are other support groups for for women who's, who, who have survived cancer. But I suppose I don't feel like I fell into that grouping either because I think... I think that is a real life or death situation. Um, and obviously, thankfully, I didn't fit into that group. But I suppose there was definitely an issue with with, um, with accessing supports like that. I, I suppose they're almost like counselling supports, you know. Um, but I, I know just even from speaking to friends of mine, that's just that seems to be an issue across across the board where women's health is concerned, even even trying to access supports for, you know, women who've had miscarriages and things, um, they're quite sparse. And even the ones that are there aren't state funded. They're, a lot of them are, are provided by charities, you know. And I mean, it's completely unfair to expect, expect charities to pick up the tab for something like that. You do have an Instagram page and um, it's Surviving Hysterectomy. Can people follow you and can they contact you if they are going through a similar thing? Like, are you open to those kind of messages from people? Oh, absolutely. And, and like, that's kind of why I set up the account in the first place. I actually set it up, um, oh, I'd say two or three months before I had the surgery or before I even knew I was going to have the surgery because I just needed a way to connect with other women who were um, who were going through something similar with endometriosis because, you know, like all those operations, they take a toll on your body and they do take a toll on your mind. Um, and I suppose at the time I'd set it up anonymously because I didn't want to come out and say these are the issues I'm having because, I mean, gynecology <laughs> really wants to talk about it, really, you know. Um, but no, I'd be totally open to that. Um and, and I've had like, I've had a, a lot of contact with other women, you know, some women my age that are looking at the choice of having a hysterectomy. Now, I suppose, look, they're women with kids as well, which, you know, that does add another layer to it. Um, like I've, I've made some really fantastic contacts through that. Um, so, yeah, no, I'd absolutely be open. And I suppose I'm kind of there as well because I'm saying, you know, it's, it's not all the be all and end all because I suppose my my philosophy in life is I didn't come this far just to come this far, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're flying it now. You have new job, new city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. New job, new city. Um, you know, that was all really positive, but I suppose like, you know, I'd be, I'd be quite honest. Like one of the reasons that I kind of did want to move out of Cork is I suppose I did find it hard being around Cork and being reminded of, of how sick I was at times. And, you know, I mean, at this stage, like there wasn't a hospital in the city that you pass that I wouldn't say I was in there, you know. Um, but no, I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying life in in Dublin at the moment as much as you can now with lockdown. But um, like the Phoenix Park is right across from me, so I like to get my walks in for there. Um, I just, you know what? I'm just doing things now, just normal things that I couldn't do when I was sick. Mm. Brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much for talking to me, Jessica. Um, and I think yeah. you're amazing. <laughs> You've just Thanks been able to much. tell your story so well. And um, best of luck to you with everything that you do. Thanks very much. 
And if anybody is affected by endometriosis and they want to follow Jessica's Instagram page, it's called Surviving Hysterectomy. And she also told me that she's in the process of writing a book. So I look forward to reading that when it comes out. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, 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 Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back to Friday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Now, Jude has been in touch. She was at the mechanic yesterday and he said a big consequence of lockdown is that car owners aren't getting to go for longer journeys now, so they're seeing more exhaust and glow plug plug issues coming in. To avoid damage, you need to take your car for a burn, he says, and a burn is to get out on open road and get up to 100 kilometres an hour for a few kilometres and do this at least once every three weeks. So have you experienced similar issues with your car due to it not getting a proper run? We'd be interested to hear your experiences on 1850-715-996 or 0833-969696. Now earlier in the show I was telling you about the young teenager in Glanmire and how he and his friends picked up nine bags of litter between them. A reminder to us all that there are great teenagers out there. Now, following on from that, Mick Nugent called in from St. Vincent's Hurling Football and Camogie Club. And uh, Mick, the, the members and the youngsters over there have been doing something similar. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Fiona. You're doing a great job. Thanks very much, Mick. <laughs> Can't believe it's Friday. Uh, so, yeah, just let us know what's been happening over at St. Vincent's. Yeah, well, I just wanted to mention there as well, um, you may have seen 
on social media as well. The residents down in Cushing Road, Cushing Place, in mm. Barnery as well. Um, they're starting to put a community garden together down there, uh, just starting that project. And they've been they've been cleaning up um, rubbish there as well the last couple of days as well. Like you know, so fair play to the residents there in Barnery for that. Um, the issue with St Vincent's and then PR of the club. Um, we do unfortunately have an ongoing issue um, on Churchfield Road and Kilmore Road Lower, near enough to the, I suppose, the, the, the club entrance there. The City Council has a couple of land banks and unfortunately there's persistent rubbish dumping there. You know, so, um, and the fairness to the City Council street cleansing section, when there's rubbish there, they'll pick it up. But what's happening now is that, whereas previously... It was being left on the footpaths and behind bollards. No, what's happening, it's being thrown behind fencing that the council put up to protect the land there. So just the last couple of days there, a number of the members of the club just got together and said, look, we'll have to try and clean up ourselves and just got it stacked and ready for the, the lads and the council to take it away, you know? Mm. Amick, um, you know, we've heard a lot over the last week about rubbish in various different areas around the city and county. So isn't it great to see positive community action like this? It is, um, it is, Fiona, and you do the various community pages on social media, you will see, you know, different groups, different areas doing, um, doing clean-ups, and I suppose it's been difficult up to now to do it in terms of the pandemic and the restrictions, so people are careful in doing that, and all these restrictions lift over the summer. Um, you'll see more of that, you know, a number of us will have got involved as well, um, myself and Kenneth Collins with the with the group as well, the community groups in Farnley and other areas and assisting in cleanups, and that's something we hope to do um, over the summer. In terms of Kilmore Road, Churchfield Road, and like, to be honest with you, it's a very small number of um, people involved in the rubbish dumping, like, but it is causing real, you know, real issues mm-hmm. for a number of residents. Um, I know sometimes you don't like to mention the, the areas, like, but... I know a number of residents of Clara Gardens have really been affected by um, rodents infestation and that, you know. Mm. And so I suppose with my councillor hat on, myself and Kenneth are putting a motion to the council to look at CCTV in around its land banks there in Kilmore Road and Churchfield Road to see will that have any effect and, and then maybe to look at engaging with local residents there to see what can be done to alleviate the the dumping that's going on there, you know. Is there a big issue, Mick, with a lack of bins? I know yesterday we were talking about a lack, a lack of public toilets. Is there a lack of bins in areas around the city? Yeah, people do. Yeah, that comes to us, you know, that there is um, there is a lack of bins. I know the Fairfield Amenity Walkway, I got one there a couple of years ago and at our local area committee on the council, um, there was a kind of agreement that if we can identify areas that the City Council executive will look at putting more bins in. They will tell you at times that they can be abused, um, unfortunately, mm. by people using them to pull in their own domestic rubbish. But I think more bins is definitely needed, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the whole education around telling people to bring the rubbish home if they can see a bin. Yeah, exactly. Like we had an environmental group um, previously in even in the Farnley area as well, um, led out there by the Community Association and the Community Warden in the area at the time, you know, when we went into schools and we had done projects and signage was put up to look at different areas and try, I suppose, some schools up 
to teach people about you know, in terms of mm. waste prevention and reduction. And the city council does have a grant available at the moment actually for community groups and residents association in terms of projects around waste uh, prevention and waste reduction. So Brilliant. it's something for people to people to look at, you know. Brilliant. Well, listen, I suppose um, it is great to see such positive community action like what we saw in Glamire and in St. Vincent's and I hope people keep that up. Listen, Mick, thanks very much for joining us this morning on the Opinion Line 1850-715-996-083-396-9696. Now we're going to Line 5 there, Don O'Sullivan. You wanted to just promote your clean-up of the ferry trail tomorrow. Good morning, Don. Hey, Fiona, good morning to you. Yeah, that's right. We're yeah, we're just going to organise. We're just listening to the lads there, McNugent there, mm-hmm. and with what the lads done below in Glamour. and it's great to see that civic coming together. You know, the civic pride of organising cleanups, and uh, again up in Kilmore Road and not Bohemia yesterday. Mm-hmm. A couple of members uh, from the Impact or Community Matters page was there, so it's good to see it. So we launched the ferry trail a couple of months ago, the Tiernanog ferry trail in the Orthopaedic Hospital in the St Mary's campus. So, you know, with the high winds there over the last couple of weeks, we're just organising a, a clean-up of the ferry trail. Now, it's a great little amenity, you know, with the walk and things like that. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, the people are interacting. They're building ferry houses, ferry doors, and they're putting them in. You know, and it's good to see it that the creativity is coming out in the children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just want to give it a bit of a, t- a tidy up tomorrow. So we're meeting in St Mary's campus a couple of us, you know, uh, socially distant and things like that with restrictions. And we're meeting at 2 p.m. 2 p.m. So it'd be good if, two, if one or two people could come along and, and give a dig out, you know, gloves and black bags and pickers and stuff like that we, we will have. And, uh, you know, just to tidy up and, you know, get it back to its former glory, you know. Fantastic, Don. Listen, thanks a million for that. And on line two, we've got Lord Mayor Joe Kavanagh who wants to talk about Cork Against Litter campaign, which is also starting tomorrow. Good morning, Lord Mayor. Good morning, Fiona. And uh, congratulations to getting to the end of your first week with flying colours. Thank you. Um, PJ will be taking another week off, I'd say. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> um, no, we launched a campaign here in City Hall, um, uh, just an awareness campaign, mm-hmm. um, just creating awareness amongst the communities across the city called Cork Against Litter, just um, making people aware that litter is not a good is not, littering is not a good thing and it's, it's so refreshing to hear so many groups coming on your show this morning saying they're kicking off and they're cleaning up their communities and the young lad in Glanmire there with his, with his friends going out cleaning up taking pride of place um, and cleaning up their local areas as part of the Cork Against Litter we mm-hmm. have a dog fouling awareness um, campaign on you. Uh, you you yourselves play a part in that with the dog you do add Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we have a lot of bus stops across the city now where we have posters up, once again creating awareness okay. uh, as to the problems caused by dog fouling and general littering. Um, on a more local basis, uh, or, or Mayfield St. Luke's Tidy Towns Group, of which I'm a member, I'll be out litter picking myself tomorrow. Lovely. And uh, we'll all be social distancing and we'll have our face masks and we'll be hand sanitising. Uh, we'll be keeping our distance in a very small group and trying to doing the best we can, like everybody else and all the other wonderful groups across the city are doing, uh, taking pride in our local communities and keeping our communities litter free. And the Cork Against Litter campaign will be going to a, a different level in the coming weeks in, in reaching out to local communities and mm. reaching out to uh, schools and so on. Fantastic. And if anybody wants to join you in Mayfield tomorrow, what time are you going to be picking up the litter at? 
Uh, we're we're meeting there about twenty past ten outside Kahan's funeral home. And can anyone go? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Come along and bring a bring a face mask with you. And uh, all all we need is uh, we 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 literally take contact details. We do the contact tracing. We do all that kind of stuff. Um, and we've been doing that all along anyway. Now we haven't been out for a few months, um, mm-hmm. you know, because we were on level five. But uh, things are starting to turn now, so we're going out tomorrow in a very scaled back, uh, a very socially distanced, COVID-orientated, um, uh, a social distancing litter pick, which is an SDLP. Brilliant. Well, good luck with that campaign, <laughs> Lord Mayor, and thanks for getting in touch. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. After achieving success as Little Green Cars, Soda Blonde emerged from the ashes and released a cracking debut album in 2020 titled Small Talk. The band returned to Cork for their first show here in over a year when they play Cypress Avenue on September 9th. Access all areas. The of Clonakilty have joined with Declan O'Rourke ahead of his newest release, Arrivals. The Barras and Declan will bring you his first live concert since 2019 in a global live streamed event from Ireland's National Abbey Theatre on Wednesday, 14th of April. You can find out more online from the Barras website. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streamed events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Lee side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 7159 On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back. Keep your calls and comments coming in to us. 1850-715-996-083-396-96. Now, just before Christmas, 11-time All-Ireland winner Breed Stack left Cork along with her husband and toddler bound for Australia. Breed went out there to play in the Australian Football League, the AFL, in early January, though a serious injury meant she was out of action. And last evening, I caught up with her for a chat. Breed Stack, thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line. Breed, um, how long have you been over in Australia now? Um, so we left Ireland on the 9th of December. Um, then we had to do um, two weeks quarantine in Perth. And we finally got to Sydney in January. So we're we're in Sydney since January now. So, um, yeah, so we're well settled in now in Sydney. So um, really, really enjoying it. So did you spend quarantine? Did you spend Christmas in quarantine or had you just come out in time for Christmas? Uh, yeah, so we got out of quarantine at 3 p.m. on Christmas Day. So, um yeah, it was a, a scramble to try to <laughs> try to get onto someone we knew. Um, but look, thankfully there was um, there was a lovely um, family that that I had um, met. Um, I suppose through Cora and through being involved in the Asian Games. Um, Alan Burke, he's from Mayo, um, so he invited us over to his house. He's living in Perth, and uh, they collected us and and brought us in, and we had the most amazing uh, Christmas dinner and amazing Christmas and. Um, kind of day with them with his family and um yeah it was it was like a home away from home really yeah so it was fabulous and why did you go there and at that time oh um yeah so i was um i i got offered an, an aflw contract um to to go play in the afl uh 2021 season um so the season started um i suppose the the kind of the last week in january um, but a lot of their preseason would have been a good, you know, two months before that. Mm. So we tried 
to get over as quickly as possible. Um, we were initially supposed to go over for the first week in November, um, but due to COVID, um, flight restrictions, um, flights have been cancelled. Um, we actually didn't end up getting going until the 9th of December. So um, by the time we got out of quarantine and by the time um, I suppose that we actually met up with the group, um, you know, it was it was very very. Late. Actually, sorry, it was probably early January before we met everyone. So, um, yeah. So I suppose look, it wasn't ideal preparation um, for leading into the the twenty twenty one season. But um, look, it was it was just the way that it that it happened this year. Uh, I suppose with COVID and um, look, I suppose we still got immersed. Um, uh, then in January, there actually was a, a case, a, a COVID case was presented in Sydney. So we actually couldn't return to Sydney um, after we came out of quarantine. So we had to go to Melbourne. Then we had to go to a place called Aubrey, which was in regional New South Wales. Then the team were shipped off to um, Adelaide for another two weeks of, um, of kind of a training hub. Um, so it wasn't ideal in terms of all the moving and still working out of a suitcase for, for a good uh, month and a half. But um, in terms of getting to know the girls and living in each other's pockets, um, it was brilliant from that point of view. So I feel like I've been in the team with years because we got to know each other so well over over that um, month and a half. So it was great. And obviously you had that time with the girls and all of that, you know, getting used to everything and, and the buzz and the excitement of joining a new team. But unfortunately, you suffered a horrific injury then. Um, yeah, I suppose, um, like I said, we were kind of um, late getting over and then probably late getting into the team environment. Um, so only kind of had maybe two or three weeks training with the girls. And then um, we played our first practice game versus um, Adelaide Crows. Um, and that was in Adelaide because we were hoping there at the time. And um, yeah, unfortunately, kind of a minute left in the game, um, I, I suffered um uh, a C7 neck fracture and kind of got um, a stinger as well, which meant kind of I um, impacted on a nerve as well, running down my right arm. So um, yeah, it wasn't it. Uh, I've never kind of been injured. Um, I kind of the, the worst injury I ever got was I kind of um, I kind of damaged my hamstring um, a couple of times in 2017 at the end of kind of my car career. Mm. Um, so I'd never kind of been badly injured. So that was. Um, a whole new experience for me, definitely, and um, kind of the, the the fallout of it and the aftermath of it, and learning how to cope with it. And, and how um, did rehabbing. you cope with it? Because I mean, you're so far away from your family. You're in a country just recently. You had all of the, you know, going over and the excitement of going over, and then that happens. I mean, how did you cope with all of that? Um, yes, look, it wasn't ideal, but um, I suppose I'm very, very grateful that I had my husband and my son with me, and they were. Uh, unbelievable support system to me and um, I was going over into a club um, that also um, had uh, another Irish girl in Cora Staunton and um, Cora is well immersed in the club with the last four years and even before I came over, you know, we, we'd been constantly onto each other. We would have been great friends um, off the field, um, which I suppose the last number of years having played against each other for many, many years um, you know, we, we probably would have been our rivals for, for years and, you know, quickly became very good friends. And um, even before I came over, she was looking after me, um, I suppose, putting plans in place for me, setting everything up. And I suppose the second we met in um, Dublin to to take off and go to Heathrow and go to Perth, um, you know, we, we became very, very, very good friends. And um, I suppose the injury 
meant obviously I didn't have my parents. I didn't have that that wider um, support system around me. So mm-hmm. Cora um, was just absolutely phenomenal and, um, you know, just really looked after me. And as I said, probably looked after uh, Corrick and my son as well, because um, it was very, very daunting. Um, but <laughs> I can hear him maybe up the door. <laughs> still up and wide awake um, so there's uh, yeah but um, yeah so it was probably um, a bit daunting for everyone but um, the support system that I had in, in the three of them and then the wider um, team was just unbelievable um, the the, t- the head coach Alan McConnell was unbelievable throughout it all as was my team captain and, and all the girls so um, I suppose in a way I was lucky that I was in a hub setting because it meant you know I had I was never on my own, not even for, I'd say, an hour. Um, I had constant um, help and constant support from everyone around me. So I suppose if it was to happen, I'm, I'm glad it happened when I was in the hope setting, you know. Uh, and how are you now? Oh, I'm flying it. Not a bother. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, it happened probably the, the week before we started into the season. And um, so I, I'm nine, nearly 10 weeks on now from, from post-injury. And um, yeah, thankfully, I was able to train with the girls um, the last week before we finished up. And, um, you know, I've continued training on since then. Um, I'm hoping to train with a local team here as well. Myself and Cora are going to join a local team here. And, and is it full training you're able to do, yeah? What's that? Is it full training that you're able to do? Uh, no, I'm, I'm. Well, I still haven't got fully signed off um, by the by my um, my surgeon, so I'm on non-contact for the moment. Um, but it's just because I suppose maybe um, I, I did push the injury as much as I could, and I pushed my recovery as much as I could. Um, so I opted for an earlier scan. Um, so that meant kind of I've had, you know, maybe three CT scans close enough together in the space of maybe six, seven weeks. So um, he wants to to leave a bit more time now before my next CT scan, which would show that I'm fully healed. Um, so unfortunately, that means that I can't return to contact until I get that clearance, uh, even though I feel, you know, perfect. But mm. um, until he's happy that, that I'm everything is fully healed. I won't get that full clearance. So um, that's in another three weeks, four weeks. Um, so looking forward to that and getting full clearance um, for, I suppose, when I head home and when I um, hope to go and play football with my club at home, you know. So that's that's the big thing. So will you get to play a season with the Giants over there then? Um, so the next season obviously won't start until next January again. Um their pre-season would start again around November. Um, so last week we kind of had all our exit meetings, which mean kind of you have your exit screening with the physio and the doctor and um, your exit screening with the head coach. And um, yeah, look, thankfully they, they were very happy with um, with everything that I kind of presented this year and my attitude, I suppose, towards things and how I, I had been training before I got injured. So um you know, um, they're very kindly, I suppose, and thankfully have um, have offered me um, to come back next year, which is wonderful. Um, so if I was to come back, I suppose, you know, COVID, COVID kind of given, it would be in the November preseason. Um, but um, I've kind of said it before, I, I there's a lot more um, at play than just myself. If I was 10 years younger and if it was just myself, my husband, and we were footloose and fancy free, you yeah. know, I'd bite their hand off for another year at it. But um, there's a lot to consider. And um, I suppose, yeah, I'll take, I'll take the next couple of weeks to try to weigh everything up first, you know. So you don't know when you're coming home, but it could be soon. 
oh I, I'll be coming home I'll definitely come home anyway there's there's no doubt about that and um, there's grandparents that are itching to see a small man so um, we'll, we'll definitely get home and, and now thankfully you know that the that the county um, wide restrictions have been lifted it'll definitely um, mean that we'll be able to see them which is wonderful as well you know um, so I suppose yeah we, we'll give it um, another couple of weeks um, so we're hoping um, maybe the start of June that way so um, we, we'll see how things go um, so hopefully I suppose Ireland continues on, on a good um, trajectory with, with um, kind of getting on top of COVID and um, I suppose we must give our dates that's the other thing we must give our dates to the club as to when we want to go home so it's just like trying to make sure now that we find a route that um, that's clear you know to, to come mm. into Ireland you know And what's life like over there at the minute? Because, I mean, like here we're still in lockdown and we're all looking at countries like Australia and New Zealand who seem to be so far ahead of us now in the journey to recovery post-COVID. Yeah, it's it's just business as normal. It's life as as Ireland was like, you know, um, um, like pre-March 2020. It's just... It's so easy. It's so free. Um, and I suppose the most um, wonderful thing is because I you know our little son um, is so small and he's so, he's getting so active now and out and about. And um, I suppose during the first two lockdowns, he was very, very young and, you know, probably um, like he obviously wasn't walking or anything, whereas now, you know, he can't be contained. <laughs> so, you know, it's wonderful that we are in Australia and he can experience playgrounds and zoos and um, play dates and and um, it's just absolutely wonderful. And, you know, today I was able to to go and meet two of my friends from college that I hadn't seen in, I'd say, six, seven years. Um, and it was wonderful to meet up with them. And they're, they're here a couple of years now. And for, you know, Cork Oak to be able to go off in the playground and, and play away with all the other boys and girls is just... Um, it's a breath of fresh air, it really is. And I suppose we, we don't know ourselves here at the moment because it's just been... Um, I suppose you would take the two weeks in quarantine knowing that you're coming out into kind of a more, um, I suppose, a more free lifestyle over here. And it's a a lovely, lovely um, way of life over here at the moment. And people here seem to be quite fixated on COVID. It seems to be all we ever talk about at the minute. Are they like that in Australia now? Uh, they are, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. they're and like that's even when you talk to some of the Australians, you know, they they're going, geez, they're so strict here. Like the government are so strict, and you know, you're just kind of <laughs> going, you'd, ra- you'd rather them be on the ball, um, definitely as as much as they were. And I suppose even when there's one case here, it's nearly like shutting down borders. They're so strict in making sure that everything is contained very very early on. Um, so they do take extreme measures, but it's for the betterment of, 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 I suppose, the people of Australia and that life goes on as normal and there's no masks and, you know, stadiums are now at full capacity. Like we're watching one of the AFL games outside there now and, you know, to have stadiums at full capacity and everyone just getting on public transport, they don't have to wear masks anymore and um, you can stop off, go to cinemas, go to nightclubs if you want to. You can go to cafes. It's just, it's just lovely. It's it's yeah, it's a wonderful way of life at the moment here. You must feel blessed and privileged that you got the opportunity to go over there and train and play with a team like the Giants. Yeah, of course, I, of course I do. Um, I'm extremely grateful for them taking a chance, and I suppose they really were taking a chance on me. I'm 34 years of age, and probably. I got you don't look 34 at all. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I do. Don't worry. Uh, I feel it. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to put a bit of three in one and all the joints at the moment, you know, like I'm trying to keep everything going. But um, yeah, I suppose, look, it was a, a big kind of, um, maybe it was a big risk for them, you know, giving um, giving me a chance. But um, I, I I probably trained as hard as I've ever trained in my life um, coming out here and making sure I was in the best condition. And um, I, I, I was. I put myself in a great position um, to make sure that I you know, was as fit as I could so that I could take up the skills as quickly as I could. And um, I was really, really enjoying training and I was um, I was getting better as well, which was good to see. Um, so just unfortunately, it got cut um, so short, you know, but um, I'm really, really grateful to them um, for taking a chance, especially Alan McConnell. But um, I definitely probably had someone whispering in his ear here in Coruscant, and, you know, and um, I suppose, you know, we would have played against each other for many, many years. So um, she knew that, you know, I wouldn't take something like this too lightly and that I would give it my all. And um, look, I'm I'm as I said, I'm really grateful that they've offered me um, the possibility of another year. And um, it's just trying to weigh everything up now and and hopefully we can make it happen, you know, but um, there's there's a lot at stake as well at home, you know. And whatever decision she makes, best of luck to Breed. And I'm delighted to hear that she's on the road to recovery. Now, just quickly back on the litter story, Councillor John Marr sent us a message to say, we know littering is dirty. We know dog fouling is dirty. We need enforcement to stop this happening. A small minority are destroying our communities. It's time for action. Let's spend the money on bins and find the culprits. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Welcome back to the final hour of the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ. Now, exactly one year ago, the Debenham story broke and the lives of many workers changed overnight. I spoke to workers on their first protest about losing their jobs and let's have a quick reminder of what some of them told me that day. I'm just, I'm actually very overwhelmed with the amount of people that have turned up here today, even the amount of taxi drivers and buses that are beeping as they go by. We don't even know where to start because are there going to be jobs out there? With the pandemic, are there going to be jobs afterwards with the amount of stores that will be closed? When we went through our examinership there in 2016, we, we gave them half our bonus. We uh, took a pay freeze. We gave Debnams a lot um, to, you know, uh, secure our jobs, basically. And this is how they treat us. We just want what's right. That's all I know. Like, I, I mean, I came out of college. I started there. It was my weekend job. And I've just, I've spent 17 years of my life there. I don't think a lot of places are going to be hiring for the next few months to be honest like many of us here none of us would have been on like the dole it, like come like 20 30 years fingers crossed that we get something but i think with the current climate i don't think there's a hope of getting anything for a good few months down the line madeline Whelan is on the line now good morning madeline can you believe that was a year ago hard to believe Fiona isn't it really uh, unbelievable unbelievable now you have a protest again this morning can you just tell me a little bit about that we have. It's more like a rally than a protest, really. We have um, some of the staff speaking on the last 12 months of what we've gone through between the injunctions and protecting the stock. Um, we have some of the TDs here. Mick Barry is going to say a few words, as is uh, Thomas Foulis and Sinn Féin. And just really to, leave the staff to, to tell the people really what we've gone through for the past 12 months. And obviously, Madeline, when this started out, there was a real sense of, you know, togetherness and and we can do this. And there was victory in the voices of the people that I spoke to that day. But like 12 months on down the the line, what's the mood like now amongst the former workers there? Well, I suppose we know at this stage we're not going to get our agreement because we're 
we have gone forward so far that we're not going to get it at this stage. Mm. But I suppose the three million fund is still there and it's still something. Now it's still in, we're still in talks with Solace and Mandy, so we haven't filled a whole lot of um, information yet on it. But mm-hmm. hopefully we will get something and people will actually walk away with something without nothing from all of this. But the other thing that we wanted with this is the legislation to protect the workers and the Duffy Cal is what we're fighting for now as well from day one we fought for it but that we really want that because really workers aren't protected here in Ireland and that is a protect uh, a bill to protect workers from the same kind of fate as what you guys have been through and when I was talking to workers on that day a year ago there was concerns then about trying to secure another job have a lot of those workers been able to secure alternative employment some of them Fiona not a whole pile of them really Mm. some have got jobs but there isn't a whole pile and I mean, I, I suppose we're here as long as COVID, as we've said, um, and it's very hard for people to go back into retail. And any the staff that wanted to go back into retail, they're all back out on the pop payment and no jobs still. Mm. I can hear a lot of cars beeping there in the background. What kind yeah. of support have you been getting? There's I mean, massive support here this morning. Um, it's unbelievable. The people of Cork are over here since nine o'clock supporting us and telling us to keep going, and they're so proud of us. And you, as you can hear, the cars and the buses. It's so unusual for you not to be here, Fiona, as you're here from day I know, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's that support meant to you guys over the last year? I suppose it's given us the push on to keep going, do you know? And I mean, when there has been days that when we found it very hard and um, when things are tough, don't COVID, as you've seen yourself. Mm. Um, but like people have been there and they'll chat you on the street, which means a lot because, I mean, the numbers had to decrease on pickets with the COVID. So there was only a few of us there then. And that's hard being held for four hours standing. But like the people of Cork have been very good to us. Has it been difficult to keep the spirits up? Yes, definitely. It does, yeah. And what has kept you going? Sorry, Sean, I missed that one. What's kept you going? Um, I suppose, you know, like the, the, that the support of the people is there. And I suppose my family at home have kept me going as well. That like Not to give up. I suppose my big thing was when the injunctions came, I was kind of, I suppose, terrified to what was going ahead of us. And they were saying to me at home, you can't give up, now you've come so far. And sure, I did. We kept going and we fought through that as well. It must have had such an impact on your family life and, and your, your colleagues as well. Because, you know, for in the early days in particular, you were out on the picket lines for, you know, most of the day. We were, yeah. I mean, I often spent 15, 16 hours on the picket there a day. Um, and, I mean, we were on call 24 hours a day and Valerie Conlon had given her life to it really for the past 12 months. She's mm. been out there every call she's run, and I mean she's further out than me, so she was. We can never be indebted to what she's done for us. And where do you go now after today, Madeline? Well, we're still protecting the stock, and we're still here in Park Street. And I suppose it's a great thing to say that nothing has left Patrick Street; that everything's intact in our store. Um, we're waiting really on a mandate and status to put the proposal on the table, and we'll have to go for a vote and see what happens with that. Obviously, when you started out 12 months ago, you were looking for a better redundancy package. But now at this stage, are you looking to create a legacy for all the Debenhams workers? Yes, we are. We we really want the legislation, the Duffacal bill to be passed. And we want to be remembered as the Debenhams workers that we fought so hard. I mean, we are the longest strike in Ireland. We made history for all the wrong reasons, but it's still we're still out here and we should get something at this stage. We didn't get our agreement, but we surely we should get something in the legislation for us. Is it the, the longest strike in Ireland, is it? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, so, it's so depressing, I'd imagine, to, when, I you, know, when you think I know. that. 
you know and and I mean and you've got an event on Facebook this evening so if people want to uh, yes, if want support to tune in, you there's a, tonight there's a Facebook live um, we have Karen Guerin McFarry speaking um, Louise O'Reilly from Sinn Féin um, Fergus Jowd who's writing a book for us um, so and there's some members of the staff there as well have you had many people from the retail sector contact you with fears that they may end up in the same situation? Well, I suppose on the street, really, we've, people have come up to us. I mean, in past three years, you know, there's very little retail left at this stage. Um, and the Arcadia workers, I suppose, they when that happened then, they realised how mm. far we've come, you know, and they came out then as well, and we came out to support them. Um, they have been because everyone is afraid, Fiona, because they know at this stage we weren't protected. They're not protected either. Their agreements mean nothing now either. Everyone can get up and walk away. Debbins have done it. They were the first and they won't be the last. Well, listen, Madeline, best of luck with everything going forward. And thanks so much for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning. One year on from the day that you all received that email to say Debenhams would be no more. Earlier in the week, we were talking about priority vaccines for teachers and there was talk of industrial action up to and including strike. Now, one Cork teacher, Kate O'Callaghan, tweeted, I'm a teacher. I do not want to go ahead of anyone vulnerable or at risk for the vaccine. I also have zero appetite for industrial action. Media spin is doing serious damage to all parties. I'm sure plenty of teachers feel the same. We just want to get on with it. And Kate now is joined, or Kate joins me on the line now this morning. Morning, Kate. Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, what's it been like being a teacher this week? Oh, well, to be honest, Fiona, I've stayed off Twitter for ages mm. and just with seeing different uh, things on the news and headlines coming up, I just wrote that tweet yesterday to see where any other teachers feeling how I ha- how I'm feeling mm. and um from the response, I didn't expect it to get so many likes and retweets. There are, and a lot of my friends are teachers and are very frustrated at how we're being portrayed portrayed in the certain aspects of the media mm. and by our unions. Now, to be fair to our unions, I think it's coming across uh, like they are not asking for teachers to go ahead of anyone vulnerable or at risk or in any of those categories. But the way it's coming across in the media is that we're calling for strike. And so many people have tweeted and said, well, then tell your members they shouldn't have voted. But there has been no vote. You know, that's I think there's Mm. a lot of confusion about what's been what has been put out there. And I know I certainly and I can only speak for myself, but from talking to a lot of my colleagues and friends, who are also teachers, they feel, as I do, like we just want to get on with it. We want all this media. I'm not blaming the media. I mean, Mm. you're the media as well, and you're giving me a platform to speak. But there are certain headlines that I feel are very misleading. And again, we're defending our profession. And are you happy enough to just wait until your age group comes up to be vaccinated? Yeah, I am. Now, Mm. I also think, you know... Some teachers is text that, well, I'm a teacher and I'm high risk. And I'm like, yeah, of course, then you're in the vulnerable or at-risk category. Yeah. But I do feel we should be prioritised before people working from home who aren't at risk, you know. But I am happy to wait. I'm not at risk, thankfully. Um, or I'm not high risk. Mm-hmm. And 
Kate, do you think that the concerns of teachers, I mean, like teachers obviously have genuine concerns and do you think that it's been lost in the whole hype that we've had this week? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, teachers do have genuine concerns and I'm not for a second trying to dismiss anyone's concerns. And there are, you know, my issue is there is school transmission Mm. but it's being covered up but if that was transparent we could look at if we needed to close the schools close them on a case by case basis like none of us want to be in lockdown none of us want to do online teaching again and you know unfortunately when you put up something like that it comes back to oh you're only looking for pay or your holidays and whatever and yes we have nice holidays that's one of the perks of our jobs but there's perks in other people's jobs as well you know I just think it's it's such lazy commenting um by certain people. So I do, do you think, think that there's been too much of a focus on the whole industrial action point that was yeah, made? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think the way it's coming across, it seems, and I can see how it would appear to people that teachers have voted for this. And I have, you know, tweeted so many people back or replied and said, there has been no vote. There's been a motion that mm. they can ballot their members, which was passed at Congress uh, yesterday, I think, or the day before yesterday, that, you know, that there is a motion. But I personally feel there isn't an appetite for industrial action and judging by the reaction my tweet got, that is how I feel. But that doesn't mean that teachers don't have legitimate concerns, and they do. I mean, we are, and especially, I suppose, our s because they are working up close, one-to-one um, with children, and a lot of times they can't wear masks um, with children with additional needs because, you know, I know we have some children in our school that have a hearing impediment. So mm. I would class them as at risk, and I would like to see them vaccinated first. It's not, I just think there's a lot of divide and conquer and mm. like we should all be working together. In our school, I mean, the parents, the teachers, I, from what I can see anyway, there seems to be a very good relationship and I imagine that's the way in many schools. But it's like we're constantly, and maybe it is because, I mean, the guards have been pushed back as well, but mm. maybe because our unions are so strong and then that gets people's backs up. And I want to be very clear that I know the union do a lot of work as well. A lot of the CEC reps on the ground are absolutely fantastic. But the heads that are going into this talk, and I do feel, and this is just an opinion, they know what they're doing when they're, they're saying, OK, we'll threaten industrial action. That's going to think our members are happy with that. And they know the public are going to totally go against it. Mm. Now, maybe that's a bit cynical, but I definitely don't think the industrial action, the motion to ballot for it, was in any way helpful. And do you think then that if it does go to a vote, just based on the conversations mm. that you've had yeah. with other teachers, do you think that the majority of teachers won't support it? I would think so. Mm. But I don't know. I can't really call that. Yeah. From the teachers I know, and from my colleagues, and again, not everyone, but I would say the majority wouldn't support it. Yeah. yeah. So, but again, I could probably be slated for this, you know, <laughs> when you write anything online, it's like, and then, you know, somebody else wrote, you mm. know, that I'm, you know, people should be allowed to refuse the vaccination. That's a totally different argument. My, I'm just literally saying, I feel, as do many other teachers, that the vulnerable and elderly or those at risk should come first and that, you know, at this stage, I, I would not, I never can want to see a school closure. I mm. mean, it was so difficult for everyone, especially, you know, 
pupils, parents, I have sixth class, so it was a bit easier for me. They could email me themselves if they needed anything. We have Microsoft Teams set up. But it's far from ideal, and I definitely think we were closed for, for far too long. Yeah, and I mean, like, for the homeschooling, I know that we've had a lot of parents on talking about how difficult it was for them, mm. but it's been difficult for teachers, I'd imagine, as well. I think much more difficult for the teachers of younger classes and teachers who have children themselves. Like, I don't have... Um, my two nieces are here now, but I try to keep them quiet. But I don't have children. So it was definitely easier for me, and I had an older class. You know, so they were able to send me messages themselves. They were able to submit work online. We did live maths every day or different, you know, things. Whereas the younger ones, the parents had to be there sitting next to them. So it's, it's a lot of pressure on everyone. And you can see the pressure. It's in families. It's, you know, even when you're out shopping, there just seems to be like an undercurrent of tension in everyone. I think mental health has suffered hugely during this pandemic. So it has been difficult, definitely easier for me, I think, the fact that I have an older class, I don't have children, and thankfully our school is very set up and we work with a very supportive staff and very supportive parents and board of management, you know, so. um, And did you see when you did come back to school with your sixth class pupils that they were delighted to be back? They were, Fiona, but there was also huge anxiety in a lot of them. They, you know, I would have had messages from some of them saying they were anxious and nervous and I would have, you know, messaged them back with, you know, saying, look, we're nervous too and, you know, you're coming back, we're going to take it easy. I took it really, really easy the first two days just to try and, and settle them back. But then they, because we were back, you know, so juniors to second were back earlier on in the, the week, uh, or sorry, two weeks previous, and mm. then we came back. So... The, ho- the day of the holidays they were doing art in the morning and I heard one of the pupils say oh, they can't take school from us it's all we have and I oh just oh my god started. I thought when would you ever hear that before and I just hoped like last year's sixth class and it still galls me they didn't get to finish out their year mm-hmm. hopefully this year's sixth class will I'm glad the school closure came earlier rather than the last term but they have also been online learning for a whole term last year there is just there is just so much of that and I feel a lot of teachers feel as I do that we just want to get on with it. What what is being put out there? Now the unions are not putting this out there. The unions are saying yes, the over seventy should be vaccinated, yes, the vulnerable should be, but um you know, teachers should be vaccinated before people who are not at risk and working from home. But it is being spun by certain, not all, I got <laughs> I got my wings clipped for that on Twitter as well, by certain journalists. And there will be certain papers I won't even mention because I don't read them anymore. There's right. just a lot. It's very hard to read about your profession. I know. Well, Every Kate, day. I hope that you felt that we've provided you now with a platform to get oh, your point across. Oh, you definitely Listen, thanks yeah. so much for taking our call today and joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. If you're a football fan, it's a big weekend and Trevor Welch joins me now. Good morning, Trevor. Morning, Fiona. How are you this morning? Now, Trevor, um, it's a big weekend ahead. What's coming up on Saturday? I hear it's the business end of the Premier League. Tell me what's happening. Yeah, it's uh, coming up to the business end, I suppose you could say, of the uh, Premier League season. Uh, Fiona and Manchester City is their first game up on Premier League Live tomorrow at half 12. They face Leeds. Man City, of course, are well clear at the top and they're closing in on their fifth Premier League title. So, um, you know, they could go 17 points clear with a win in the early game tomorrow against Leeds. And, um, you know, Man City are going for four. 
trophies. They're favourite for four trophies this season. Um, so they, they really are turning on the style. And I'm sure the red half of Manchester, uh, Man United fans are looking over their shoulder nervously because United, as we know, are the only side to win the treble. Uh, back in 1999 with that great team under Alex Ferguson. So um, there's a chance Man City could repeat that. But, um, you know, I think that they'll obviously have the league wrapped up. They're in the um, League Cup uh, final against Spurs and they're in the FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea and they're in the quarter-final against Borussia Dortmund in the uh, Champions League 2-1 up and that. So, you know, they, they could do it, but it uh, still could be a good, uh, big ask. But Leeds, uh, United have been... Really good as well, Fiona, this season in the uh, Premier League. Uh, their first year up, of course, after 16-year absence. And uh, they could go into the top half of the table, which is really good. And Bielsa, their manager, and Pep Guardiola know each other well uh, from coaching all their years back. But um, I think uh, Bielsa's yet to beat Pep, so maybe tomorrow's the time. So that's uh, our opening game uh, tomorrow. And then Liverpool against Villa is at 3 o'clock. Uh, Villa beat Liverpool 7-2 earlier in the season, which was a shock result. Uh, but Liverpool got revenge in the FA Cup in January. Uh, should be a good game, and the incentive is there for Liverpool to move into fourth in the table with a win into the Champions League places. And then it's a London derby at half past five, Palace and Chelsea. Chelsea lost for the first time under the new manager, Thomas Tuchel, last week, but a shock defeat against West Brom. Uh, but uh, I think they'll win this one and consolidate their uh, their push for a Champions League place. So all in all, it's, it's going to be a really busy afternoon of Premier League action, Fiona. And... Uh, yeah. Trevor, you mentioned there that Manchester City is in four competitions and is favoured to win all four. Has that ever happened before? No, I mean, the closest, obviously, is, is uh, with Manchester United. Mm. As I said, in 99, you know, they, they won um, they won the treble, but they call the real treble, the FA Cup, the league title, and the Champions League. I mean, that was uh, a phenomenal, you know, Manchester United side with, uh, obviously, two Cork guys in, in the side, Dennis Irwin and Roy Keane. Um, you know, they, they say that it's 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 almost nigh on impossible to do it. But Man City have a chance now. I think the top one will be the Champions League because uh, if they beat Dortmund, they could face either PSG or Bayern Munich, the holders in the semi-final. So that's the tough one. I think they go in the other three. Um, but uh, you know, certainly all to play for for Manchester City. But, and in uh, the relegation battle, who do you think will go down there? Yeah, I think um, obviously Sheffield United are gone. Um, they're they're um, they're way behind the rest. Uh, West Brom have an outside chance. I think they'll go down. The fight then is on between Fulham and Newcastle United. Uh, I think it's between those two which one goes down and which one stays up. But a very interesting special guest on the programme as well tomorrow. Yes, I believe so. Yes, tell me a little bit about that. Ricky Hill is his name. He's uh, a new explosive book out called Love of the Game. You know, as as a black coach, he feels that he never got the opportunities um, to to uh, to coach in the top flight of English football. So he went to the US. He was successful there, but he feels he was overlooked in the UK. And he talks about you know racial abuse in the game was commonplace in the 80s, and that his his wife. Uh, couldn't even go to his games anymore because she was sickened by the the name calling. He was called in in matches. Mm. You know, you look at there's 92 clubs, Fiona, in the English uh, leagues, um, and uh, I think there's only what, one coach, one black coach, uh, in the 92 clubs. So he talks about that, and he talks about obviously his ups in the game as well. He was um, he lived near Wembley on the shadow of Wembley in London, and he used to sell programs outside. And he eventually ended up there playing for England and in a League Cup final uh, win as well in the 80s. But, uh, you know, he, he, he talks about how uh, that is still a problem in the game, racism, you know. So it'll be an interesting uh, uh, talk tomorrow. He played with Luton and Leicester and in England International as well. Brilliant. And just you mentioned there about a problem. Is there a problem now with the matches, with the atmosphere? Like I was talking to my husband there the other day and he said they're just not the same anymore. 
Yeah, you you'd um you know, obviously they'd say football without fans is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um and um but I think to be fair, like uh, we we've been lucky with elite sport Fiona, you know, we watched all the Premier League stuff, the Champions League stuff, the international yeah. matches, the rugby six nations was great. So, you know, we were lucky that we could watch elite sport. I think football has handled it well, you know, with the whole COVID situation. I think there was only a couple of um, positive cases and there was only about one or two games postponed, you know, throughout the season. So they've handled it well. And I believe the fans will be uh, in the ground soon, sporadically. You know, you have the European Championships coming up um, in the summer, Fiona. And I believe that the England games, the three England group games, they will allow 22,500 fans into Wembley mm. um, for, for those games. So that's a, a, good, a good sign, a positive sign for even our own football here in Ireland that it, there's hope, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah, and bringing it back to local, Cork City are playing um, Athlone Town. Is that going to be a difficult game for them? Yeah, it'll be a tough game for Cork City, Fiona, because, you know, they've played two so far. Um, they won the um, the Cork Derby against Cove Ramblers on the opening night, even though they didn't play well at all. Cove were very good and deserved a draw out of it. And then they were beaten in a poor performance against Cabin Teeley last week. Mm. So Colin Healy will know, you know, the importance of getting a win uh, tonight against that loan. But that loan are unbeaten in their two, they're four points. So they're a good side. They beat uh, Galway, John Coffey's Galway United last week. So Colin Heaven know it's a tough game uh, for them tonight and obviously they're missing the fans as well as we know Cork City has the biggest fan base probably in the country and they're really missing the fans to, to really get behind them but hopefully they'll get a win tonight because it's a very tough first division Fiona they call it the graveyard division it's very hard to get out of and get promoted back to the top flight and as we know Cork City a big club enjoyed success recently with the double in 2017 under John Caulfield and uh, you know they'll be anxious to get back to the top flight again And do you think they'll do it? Um if I was, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd say no. I'd say that I think, you know, Shelburne obviously are the favourites to go straight back up. It's just one goes straight back up, the team that wins the league. But there's four playoff places, Fiona, the team that finished second, third, fourth and fifth will go into two semi-finals and a final. I think they'll be in the playoffs and they'll take their chances from there. And Trevor, Cove Ramblers playing in Trete United, they've had a poor start, haven't they? Yeah, uh, Cove have been, you know... It's a very poor start, unfortunately, from Stuart Ashton. As you know, we're the media partners for Cove Ramblers. Um, and, um, you know, I was hoping they'd get a good start last year, Fiona. You know, they just missed out on the playoffs by goal difference. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was hoping they'd hit the ground running this year. But they lost that derby, as I was saying, at Turner's Cross to Cork City in the opening night. And they played really good football. And they should have got a draw of it, at least. And I thought they'd put it up to UCD. But UCD, a very strong outfit. They've been up and down the divisions. And uh, they proved too strong for Cove last week at uh, St. Comas Park. 4-0 they lost. So they have to bounce back against Treaty tonight in Limerick, even though Treaty have four points on the board after their two matches. So they started well as well. There's no poor team in this division. Every game is going to be really competitive. And I just hope Cove uh, can get their first points on the board tonight in Limerick. And Trevor, remind us how we can catch up on all of this action over the weekend. Yeah, uh, download the app Corks 96FM for the Premier League Live. We're on air as always from 12 to half past seven. Action-packed programme, as I mentioned. Alan Cawley will uh, preview all of the action with me, our regular uh, football analyst and podcaster. And um, then, of course, uh, I'll be at Turner's Cross tonight for the Corks City at Lone game. I'll have uh, all the pre-match build-up team news and uh, post-match interviews for our sports news for tomorrow. And, of course, the score on Sunday. And we'll have reaction as well. Uh, the Cove lads will uh, provide uh, some uh, post-match uh, reaction from that treaty game. We'll have that on our news tomorrow and, uh, and the score on Sunday as well. Fabulous. Thanks very much, Trevor. Thanks for joining us on this Friday morning. Now, in case I say my husband is sitting there listening to this, saying, how does she know all of these things about football? But <laughs> I have Fergal and Trevor to thanks for all.
all of that. So um, thanks a million for that, Trevor. And uh, you can catch up um, on 96FM over the weekend with Trevor. Now, are you fed up of your current job and do you dream about taking on a different challenge? Are there obstacles stopping you from following your heart's desire, such as a lack of self-confidence, fear of the unknown, worry about paying the bills? Well, I've been speaking to life coach Shane Craddock, who's some advice on taking that leap of faith. Hi, Shane. How are you? Welcome to the Opinion Line. Hi, Shona. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Shane, just tell me, somebody is in a job and they're not very happy in the job and they know that there's something else that they want to do, but they're in a job that's paying their bills, paying their mortgage, they've got a family, they've got a responsibility, and it's not just easy then to just walk away from that and into the unknown, really. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's not. But very often, though, we can build these mental obstacles in our minds that we don't even tackle and don't realise that they're there, you know. So I think most people that I, like, I'm a big fan of living true to yourself. Mm. That's one of my core values. Um, and with that then comes, I suppose, a chance to say, well, am I living true to myself? A lot of people put a huge amount of focus on quality of life, i.e. money, but not necessarily about the quality of their life. And if you're living in a, if you're working in a situation that is, for example, toxic to you, um, I would strongly uh, question why you're there. Is it just about the money? Because the impact of that will be in your family, in your children, in your relationships, in your mindset, and your just in everything about mm. living. And um, so that's the first thing. The second thing, though, which is kind of an unusual one, I think, because I've encountered this, is where, um, you know, you, you make where you are wrong. And my advice to a lot of people is, don't make where you are wrong. Like if you're telling yourself every day, I hate my job, mm. that's not the best way to go into your job. And it's not, it can become, all of a sudden you're creating the situation which is worse. So what I'll always say to anybody that I'm connected to is make the best of where you're at, no matter what. As in like go in and do a good day's work, give your best. Yes, you might be surrounded by people perhaps that maybe aren't respected, that's fine. But you have to work at delivering what you're paid to do, whether that's as a business owner or whether it's as an employee. Otherwise, you're going to lose the one thing that is most valuable, which is your mindset. So I think, does, does that make sense, Fiona? Yeah, like, do you know, I know everybody will have days or they might have weeks where they say, oh God, I hate my job. Like there has to be something else. So like, at what point does it get damaging to your health where you're actually, is it where you're crying going into work where you're just like, you know, dreading going into work where you have that fear? I know every Sunday night people have the the dread about going back to work, but like when it becomes a constant thing, like can that have serious implications for your, for your own health then, mental and physical health? Well, I think that probably the answer is in the question. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's good if you're crying going into work. I mean, that's pretty extreme. But I think a lot of, I can't remember what was this, Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, like, the mass of men live, live lives of quiet desperation. And I, I think, you know, if you're crying and it's that severe, that's a very clear indication that something is wrong. Now, it's either wrong in terms of how you're handling the situation. Hmm. And maybe you need to get some outside help or support, which is always advisable. Or perhaps, yeah, maybe you just need to move on and say, well, it's, it's not worth it. Um, so uh, I don't know. I mean, I think for me personally, I think it's usually milder. Sometimes it's a slow decline into something as opposed to very stark uh, tears or high level of stress. Hmm. Um, I, I would encourage people to explore. Like I, I've, I've, I've often met many people who they're kind of given out about a situation, but they're not necessarily turning that into purposeful action. For example, you know, I'm thinking of somebody who was came to me with something similar, like I just I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. I said, Okay, well, 
can we come up with three areas that maybe you want to explore? And eventually we got three and I said, okay, for the next month, pick one that you're going to explore. Yeah. Um, because at least you're taking action exploring something that maybe is in the category of wishful thinking, but we need to take it out of that category and move it into purposeful action and start to explore. Because people convince themselves of all sorts of things, Fiona, as you probably know, because we can all do it. We all have these powerful imaginations where we think, oh, if I could only have a chance, I could do this over here. Mm. And really, it's just wishful thinking, as opposed to, okay, let me explore that. Can I talk to somebody who's in that field? Can I do a bit, even bit of part-time work to explore it? Can I do a bit of research online? Can I take a training course in that area? There's lots of practical things we can do today because we're connected through technology, way more than, say, my parents' generation were able to do. Yeah. So, I mean, if there is somebody listening to this interview and they are unhappy, okay, they might not be at the extreme part where they're crying every day going mm. into work, but they are unhappy and they're not satisfied in their job. Like, would you advise them then to, I suppose, first of all, what you were saying there, seek help, talk to other people rather than just taking a drastic move and leaving? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, it, it, you know, in, in some cases, if the extreme move is needed, you'll probably know that yourself in your gut. Mm. And sometimes that is the right thing to do, right? But I think it's probably 10, 20% of the time. But I think you'll, you'll know that yourself because you're going to know what's just not worth it. And sometimes that could be up for all sorts of reasons. It could be even ethical reasons, you know, that somebody just doesn't want to work in a certain place, and that's fine. But majority of the time, I think it's it's not that. Um, and I would encourage people to, yeah, talk to people. But I, I think there's a phrase that I give to people I know that might help people listening maybe, which is, think big, start small, start today. And I'll give you an example. So I was talking to, um, I was actually a friend when we were chatting, they, they kind of revealed to me that they always, you're on the radio, Fiona, I don't know whether this is always your dream, but they were telling me they always <laughs> felt that they would love to be on the radio. Yeah. And um, I could see why, actually, because they had a great radio voice and they were genuine Eastern people, but mm. they're, they're, they're in a career that is completely now nothing to do with radio. So they were thinking, well, it's too late now and I've got responsibilities with the kids and everything else. And so I was listening very patient. I said, yeah, that's fine, but isn't that a pity that you're not just going to get the enjoyment of it? Mm. So they were saying, well, what do you mean? I said, well, think big. Okay, well, maybe you could do something down the line, but start small. So well, why not just start researching how to do a podcast? Yeah, because um, I was just going to say to you, what if it is a dream like that, like to get into radio, but there aren't a lot of opportunities and there are not a lot of openings. So, do you know, um, how do you explain then to somebody, okay, you have this big dream, but, um, you know, there aren't really the opportunities to get into it. So are you saying then to maybe look at different ways of getting into it? Yeah, well, exactly. But like with that guy, you know, think big. Well, maybe think he was thinking too big. Said, well, how do I start? And I said, well, start today. What can you start? Start small, start today. Mm. You can actually go on and start researching how do you start your own podcast? What equipment do I need? Who could I interview even for one, even if it's just friends? Yeah. Just to start getting into that zone. So you're actually getting practice at what you're telling yourself might be the dream that you've given up on. But that's my point. If you want to make movies, start learning how to make movies today. If you want to become an accountant or change career, like I was speaking to somebody who used to work in marketing and they, they were saying, well, actually, sorry, the way around, they, they used to work in a pharmacy. And they said, actually, I've always had this thing. I want to work in PR and communications. But they had created this wall in their mind, which was, well, where do I start? And I said, well, mm. if you think big, start small and start today. What, what could you start today? So, well, there's a friend of mine who works in a PR communication where I could talk to them and just see what's involved. So that's what they started to do. Started pulling the string, did a couple of courses. One year later, left the pharmacy. I mean, like, you know, it's not easy to become a pharmacist. <laughs> yeah. But they weren't happy. And so now today they are at a very senior level in a big PR communications firm doing right and loving, loving what yeah. they're doing. So 
you know, I think you have to listen to your gut. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people let the fear of it, of, well, we're like, well, like, how's it all going to work out? That's mm. overthinking it. I think fear is your constant companion. It really doesn't seem to go away from what I can see with anybody. But you have to take the steps. If you do nothing, you're going you're gonna to get nothing. And what would you say to people? I know I kind of asked you something similar earlier, but if somebody has like a talent that they wanted to kind of develop into a career, but they do have, you know, a mortgage to pay and they have kids to feed and they can't really afford to just take time out and try and turn, like say if it's an artist, um, you know, that they they want to create a business out of that, but there may not be any income out of it then for a while. Um, Like, so what advice would you give to somebody like that? Well, I think at the end of the day, the biggest... uh, (laughs) The biggest reality checker and stressor is probably cash. You know, mm. and I work with a lot of business owners, um, and so cash is everything. So you have to be very practical about it. There's no point in jumping out causing all sorts of stress. Um, I, I, again, I, w- I would just think big, start small, start today. So for me, I would be saying to the person, look, instead of putting pressure on yourself to come up with paying mortgages and everything else, why not just start doing a little bit just for enjoyment? Mm. A lot of the time, like I have a friend who got very close to making a big as a musician but it just didn't happen. And uh, really talented guy, but then he just stopped playing music altogether because he said, it's just too painful. Oh, God. And, and, and so now he's, he's actually done very well for himself in a, in a business context. Right. Um, but it was only recently, you know, a, few, a couple of years ago, where I was saying to him, I said, it's such a shame because I said, I'm sure you felt great when you were playing those instruments. And he was a brilliant drummer, actually. And he said, yeah, 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 but just thinking about it. And I said, why not just go back and play for the enjoyment or take the pressure off making any money and now today um, I'm delighted to say he's actually in the middle of recording an album does he Does he think it's going to go anywhere no he's just doing it for his own enjoyment because he doesn't have pressure on himself to make it into a money earning career because he's making his money elsewhere so but what he's brought in is that sense of life you know the aliveness mm-hmm. factor um, so th- th- there's no point in kind of jumping out and saying oh look it'll all happen if it's meant to happen and um, we have to be practical as well you know so there's nothing like Paying bills is a is a practical thing, so yeah. um, I wouldn't be advising people to just jump out and say, "Oh, should look, the universe will look after me." I think that's probably not the best strategy for for success. And Shane Craddock, you do have a book and a podcast um, on these kind of issues. The, the book is called Inspire Me. You can get it on Amazon or in Eason's. Um, the podcast is on all major platforms. It's called The Inner Edge. I just bring an inner angle to business and life and personal development. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my website is my name. It's Shane Craddock. C-R-A-D-O-C-K-1-D.com. So People um, can get in touch with you then if they have any queries or anything like that. Absolutely. Brilliant, Shane. Listen, thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you, Fiona. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.